Hello, everyone. I'm Christina Roberts Enneking, and I am here to welcome you to the Real Eyes Realize podcast. This is a platform where we feature everyday people making ripple effects, actualizing love in their families, communities, and the world at large. Real Eyes Realize is a show where life and service dance together. For all of our podcast listeners, we invite you to sit back or take us with you on your walk or drive or however you enjoy your podcast. But listen deeply. We are here with our guests, here to listen to the sparks that have inspired action and heart-centered service and highlight ways in which we can also be motivated and inspired to create the positive ripple effects in our world. We're prepared to get real as well, authentic, courageous, and vulnerable through truth-telling and in that relating with one another to the things that matter most. So thank you for being here and enjoy this special treat, our next episode, just for you. I am honored to welcome two incredible, incredible beings into our Real Eyes Realize podcast today, Justin Michael Williams and Shelly Tagelski. And so as we kick off, I'm going to just let our listeners know a little bit about the two of you in the form of a bio, and then I want to ask more about your story. So we'll kick this off with Justin Michael Williams. Justin is an author, a speaker, and a top 20 recording artist who has keynoted at some of the world's most prestigious companies and organizations. He is a celebrated leader in diversity and inclusion with a mission to bring us together through connection, compassion, and well-being. His science and compassion-based DE&I movement has caught the eye of companies like Google, Ultragenics, Bloomberg, VMware, Grammy.com, Billboard.com, The Root, The Advocate, and universities worldwide. He is a voting member of the Grammy Award Recording Academy and the first African-American member of the Board of Trustees for the Esalon Institute in Big Sur, California. Justin grew up in a household with gunshot holes on the outside of his childhood home. And by using the transformational methods he teaches today, he has become a pioneering millennial voice in diversity and inclusion and wellness. He now shares the stage with great leaders like Marianne Williamson, Deepak Chopra, and he knows well the pain of adversity and the power of healing to overcome. With his groundbreaking book, Stay Woke, and over a decade of teaching experience, Justin's message of hope and empowerment has spread to more than 40 countries around the globe, particularly through his national Stay Woke Give Back Tour that brings mindfulness to youth in underserved communities. And Justin is dedicated to using his voice to serve, to being a beacon of hope for all of those who are lost and to making sure all people of all backgrounds have access to the information they need to change their lives. So Justin, welcome, welcome, welcome. Now, Shelly, I'm gonna go ahead and do your bio. And I feel like this could be an individual podcast with each of you. And at the same time, the two of you as a team are incredibly, incredibly powerful and strong. And that's how I met the two of you. So we're just going to go ahead and roll through this. But there's so much for both of you that I just want to highlight and amplify and just want to say welcome. So Shelly Tagelski, welcome. Shelly is the author of the book, Sit Down to Rise Up, How Radical Self-Care Can Change the World, recently launched in October of 2021. She's also the founder of Pandemic of Love, a global grassroots volunteer-led mutual aid community that has directly matched nearly 2 million people since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, accounting for over $60 million in direct transactions. Her work has been featured in over 100 media outlets, including CNN Heroes of 2020, Forbes, Upworthy, The Kelly Clarkson Show, CBS This Morning, and The New York Times and Washington Post. Shelley has been hailed by individuals from President Joe Biden to Ariana Huffington to John Kabat-Zinn to Maria Shriver. Shelley is a trauma-informed mindfulness teacher named one of the 12 most powerful women of the mindfulness movement by Mindful Magazine. She teaches formalized self-care and resilience practices at organizations all around the world and is widely regarded regarded as a self-care activist. She's happily married to her husband, Jason, and as an adoring mother to her son, Liam, and as part of her own self-care, Shelly makes time for skateboarding, playing guitar, and making craft cocktails. Since mid-2020, Jason and Shelly have been relocating every few months, exploring and adapting to a modern nomadic lifestyle. So welcome, both Justin and Shelly. Thank you for being here. 
So I'm going to actually ask, um, we'll start with Shelly today. If you could share us a little bit more about your personal journey from the point that little Shelly came into this world to where you are today, pivotal moments and pivotal people in your life. Wow. Uh, God, that's like such a big question. Um, I know. And we have like how much time, right? So I know, I know, I guess I I'll highlight. That's why I'm laughing because we literally just like wrote a book together with our personal stories. And I'm like, I'm cracking up because I'm like, how do we do that? We answer that. Yeah, no, totally. (laughs) And we're over, over the words by like double. So, um, so, okay, let me try to do this. This is going to be interesting. A short version of, of the Shelly story is, uh, born in Israel, uh, in Jerusalem, uh, in the seventies, my, uh, mother's family is from Iraq originally. Uh, my mother was airlifted, uh, and was a refugee, uh, in 1949 brought into Israel. My father's side of the family is originally from Spain and Syria. And, um, on my father's side, I am the 19th generation that was born in Jerusalem and, um, came to the U S when I was two, uh, I was kidnapped. That's a very long story, but people can read my book and get, get the rest <laughs> of the story. Obviously it was found. Um, and, uh, my parents wound up moving from New York to, uh, Miami beach, which is where I grew up. I spent, uh, most of my life, uh, in Miami, uh, my, my young adult life, uh, with all, every summer and, uh, Jewish holidays in, in Israel with my family. I was very uh, hawkish, conservative, right-wing, like uh, my family was, because that was my conditioning. And I was also an Orthodox Jew. So my contemplative practice ex- existed very neatly in a box. And as a Sephardic Jewish woman, um, it was even a tighter box. It was almost like one of those, uh, you know, boxes within a box, within a box, within a box. Like I was in the like smallest possible box. Um, and so I found my way out of the box, um, and found meditation, uh, as a contemplative practice that, uh, eventually ended up being a complementary one for me, Re- realized that, you know, many things can exist in duality, found that in the, um, in the late nineties, uh, when I was a graduate student at Columbia university through a class I took with Dr. Robert Thurman and, um, he introduced me to Sharon Salzberg and she changed my life. And uh, that was well over 20 years ago. I do also want to add that, um, you know, I was, I was very conditioned to believe that there were people in this world that just, you know, were bad or evil just by virtue of the fact Mm. that they practice a certain religious religion or spoke a certain language or were born into a certain piece of land. Um, because really for many Israelis, uh, and I will say also for, for many, you know, Jews in the diaspora, that is the case. You know, we commingle Zionism with Judaism and Judaism existed long before Zionism ever existed. And it will exist long after Zionism Mm -hmm. exists. And so, um, I, I had to untangle that very delicate web. Um, and it took many years and a lot of reconciliations and reparations. Um, but I am, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very proud to talk about my experiences, which is something that Justin and I do often together. Um, and certainly that a lot of w- what we write about in the book, um, and finally, on a, on a like, you know, not so interesting side, I was in the corporate world for 20 years working in private mm-hmm. equity and running companies uh, and mergers and acquisitions. And then uh, in spite of myself, kept rising up the ranks. And in 2015, I finally left that world to um, follow my passion and teach mindfulness, I thought, in the corporate space. And I did one um did one meditation like in a boardroom at some big like law firm down in Miami. And I was like, I need to never do this again. (laughs) Like I extracted (laughs) myself from the corporate world and I've got to, uh, you know, 
I got to get out of here permanently. And uh, as luck, you know, as the world would have it, I was thrust into the 2016 time period, which was the 2016 election, which didn't go the way that that I at least personally wanted it to go. Um, and I became incredibly politically active and my my form of mindfulness became engaged mindfulness. Right. Like Dich Nhat Hanh's, uh engaged Buddhism. And it really became a source of um, not only my self-preservation, but it also became a source of my um, my way of, um, you know, engaging in the world and really connecting the inner world and the outer world. So mm. I'll stop there. Oh, beautiful. So many questions to ask you. And uh, thank you for your work in doing that. And not only in your own waking up, but waking up so many others. So thank you for that influence. Justin Michael Williams, how would you offer up your journey, your story from those gunshot wounds or um, holes in your home mm-hmm. to where you are today? Yeah. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll just share this. Um, first of all, I'm always so inspired by Shelly's story, you know, and then if you all got to just dive deeper into any part of it, it will blow you away. You know, her book shares so much of what's happening there in that space. And, um, you know, what I'll share is this is I grew up, I think like a lot of us with this experience of thinking that if I just continued doing enough, doing, 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 accomplishing, succeeding, achieving enough, then I would finally be happier. I'd finally be enough. And that was kind of the way that I thought I was going to get out of my trauma or get out of my circumstance or get out of whatever, you know, growing up in a, in a poor neighborhood, like was all about what I was going to do, accomplish, succeed, and achieve. And I did all those things. And I just feel lucky like that I had like the aha moment that I think a lot of people have kind of in their midlife at 18. <laughs> like I was 18 at college, in college, and I was like, hold on a second. I've done everything. Like I've literally every single thing that I've ever thought I needed to accomplish and ever wanted to accomplish, I have now accomplished and I still feel like shit. Mm-hmm. That's where I was. And, and so I was like, what do you do now? You know? And so that kind of sent me into a depression, my first experience with depression. And I got like a really bad eating disorder at when I was a, a freshman in college and ended up going to therapy. And the therapist shared with me along with a few other people in my life said, you should try meditation. Now you have to remember like I'm an 18 year old black dude from the hood living in LA for the first month of my life. There's no iPhone yet. You know, I didn't, Oprah hadn't done a meditation challenge yet. Like I didn't know any black people meditating at all, nor did I even really even know what it was or had heard of it very much. And, you know, I get introduced to this practice that changed the trajectory of my whole life. And, you know, really healed me from the inside out and made me recognize that what mattered most was not just what I was doing, what I did mattered, but the outcome of what I did was impacted by who I was being and how I was showing up. And so that is like, and Shelly uses these words all the time of like showing up and it is about showing up, but also about how we show up and the energy that we're showing up with and who we're being in, in our showing upness. And so, you know, my that healed and changed my life so much that like, I have just dedicated my life to sharing this with other people. I literally just before this podcast, just gave a talk to 1700 high school students in Virginia, you know, uh, about Mm -hmm. teaching them how to dream bigger and have practices and meditate to help take them further. And it's just such a gift to me because I think one of those kids or many of those kids were exactly how I was at that moment. And, you know, imagine seeing, you know, where I saw like, you know, an old white man telling me to meditate. Imagine seeing like a young queer black dude telling you to meditate and how that kind of shifts the context a little bit. So anyway, that's what I'll share for now. And uh, I think these practices can really deeply change all of our lives in a way that's not just of our personal self, but also our collective, which is uh, a lot of the work that, you know, obviously Shelly, you know, that Shelly and I do together. So, yeah. Absolutely. Well, you know, the, how I first got to know the two of you I mean, on a more personal level was attending the Liberation Experience, which was an amazing collection of people from all over the world um, during the pandemic, looking at how we couldn't 
how to end racism, like to end it. And so what I love about the two of you is you take a look at the systemic challenges that are going on in the world and you help to carve out a path to like potential and what we can do. So Shelly, I want to ask you first, when you talk about engaged um, activism, you know, just kind of the engaged mindfulness, but what I see is such this, of this edge of activism with you, what is it that you find is your, like your cry out to the world right now in terms of your wish for all of us to like start to show up that way? Well, really, it is that the prayer of the Bodhisattva, which is what I mentioned earlier, which is that part of what's happening to us now be part of what wakes us up. You know, Joseph Campbell talks about the world being, um, you know, it's a circle. It's the universe is, is represented by a circle. And there's a line that goes through it, right? Like towards the top, there's a line and everything beneath that line is um, unawakened and everything above the line is awakened. And things like fear, things like, um, you know, issues with self-worth or uh, war, um, anger, the inability to be vulnerable, to have self-love, expression, et cetera, all of the things that contribute to really the hardening of the heart exists below that line. And what ultimately happens is that when we can pierce through that line, and awaken to what it is that we're feeling, really identify the quality of our emotions, our seen and our felt experience, we can use that state of awakening to actually fuel our action in the world that can hmm. um, create shifts, create transformations, the types of transformations that Justin and I are talking about that are things that are seemingly impossible ending racism, ending war, ending, um, you know, just biases and, and, and all of these things that we feel like are endemic to being human, that it's love, it's a given, you know, it's just part of humanity. It's part of being human. It's existed since the beginning of time. It'll exist to the end of time. And I think Justin and I are both calling bullshit on that because we feel like we have the tools to actually, um, you know, to not have it exist till, till the end of time. We can do better because we really do know better at this point, right? To quote Toni Morrison. And so I think, you know, that's my wish for humanity is that, hum that, that we awaken to what it is that is not serving us and use that as the fuel to do the work. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And uh, Justin, I'm curious when we, you know, hearing Shelly and, and I just love this thought about creating shifts right? What are the shifts that we can create? How can we start to look at transforming, transmuting, like going beyond? Uh, what are your thoughts on that, your impressions, and how the heck do we get there from where we are right now? Yeah. So, you know, there's a big focus in the world, and this is a big language shift that, that Shelly and I are using a lot in, in our work, is about the difference between change and transformation. So we talk about change a lot in the world. Change, change, we want to change this, we want to change this, we're going to change this, we're going to change this. And we're just changing shit all the time. You know, <laughs> we're just changing stuff all the time. And the thing is, is there's a difference between change and transformation. When something changes, you can usually change it back. When something mm -hmm. transforms, what was is no longer available to you. That's the difference, right? Like a, a caterpillar going to become a butterfly is transformation because the caterpillar can't become the butterfly and then like stand on the edge of the twig and be like, I'm too scared to fly. Let me go back, right? Forget it. Never mind. Uh -uh. No going back. <laughs> no going back, right? But, but for us, like we focus so much on change in the world that we keep having to deal with the same problems again and again and again and again and again and again in slightly different forms because we haven't actually gone in to do the transformational work that it calls us to do if we want the changes to have the lasting impact that we want them to have. And transformational work is an inside job, right? That's the key. The transformational work is an inside job. It's changing who we're being so that the outcome of what we're doing can shift. And so this is the work that, you know, Shelly and I are here to do. And, and, you know, I sometimes call myself an inner activist 
and I laugh at that sometimes. And when I'm in like activist spaces, they'll kind of like roll their eyes at me. Right. Because like, Oh, you're an inner activist. Great. You know? And, but it's, I feel like it's so important because if we are not working on what's inside, then everyone's just going to keep working and working and working on the outside and be completely run to the ground because we haven't done the inner work that it takes for these shifts to, to stick. And so this is the work that we do. You know, this is the work that we do. Yeah. And it's such a, can you know, I just say, Justin, and I feel like it's a beautiful compliment, right? So the, it's like, Justin's the, the inner activist. I feel like I live more in the outer world and like, we definitely just have this incredible blend of being able to really connect that inner work to the outer world in the real world, because there are so many people who are only stuck in the outer world. And there are so many people that all of us know, you know, that, that are, they're constantly getting certifications and doing oh, yeah. uh, courses and workshops and going to therapy and it's all great things to do, but they just but they haven't never done translates. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Sitting on the mat and just wishing things would be different rather than pretty much. The yeah. Forward. yeah. Thoughts and yeah. prayers, thoughts and prayers. Yeah. 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 Well, I think, well, Justin, I'd like to ask you a quick follow-up because when you're talking about that whole, like the inside job, you know, and, you know, you mentioned earlier, like that quest early on for like external, you know, seems to me like this is mirroring what you're talking about right now. Like the external is just transitory. Like we're going to keep on chasing and chasing, chasing. When are we ever going to get there? But the moment we stop and we pause and we look inside and we change that, transform that, that's where the truth really does start to unpack. Uh, I'm curious if that is about right or anything else you'd add to that. Yeah, it is. It's exactly right. So I don't have any, I don't have much more to add. You said it. That's it. Yes. <laughs> you said it. I'm just like yes. echoing back, but like, amen, yeah. brother. I love it. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny too, you know, Shelly, when you, right before we got on this podcast today, uh, you have been dealing with uh, a lot of real world critical, critical things. And I'm wondering if you have an um, opening in your heart and if it's okay to share a little bit of what you're involved with through the pandemic of love with the conflict going on in Russia and Ukraine. Sure. So we're about a week into the war when at the time of this podcast being recorded, um, starting about hour three of the war, um, pandemic of love behind the scenes actually started to mobilize and work with partners that we've been embedded with for many years, uh, specifically global empowerment mission. Um, the founder of global empowerment mission, Michael Capone is somebody that I've known from Miami for a very long time, like decades. And, uh, he and I, um, became really friendly in 2008 after the Haiti earthquake, happened, which is when Global Empowerment Mission was first founded, really as just like a response to what was happening um, in Haiti. And that uh, entire operation and what we learned from um, the aid that was provided after that catastrophe um, mm -hmm. got honed into best practices and standard operating procedures and an understanding of really what is wrong with the philanthropical nonprofit industrial complex uh, that exists and why organizations like the Red Cross, which do they, it's not a knock on the Red Cross. It's just an example, but like they're so inefficient, you know, and, and it's really mostly a function of their size and, you know, the layers and layers and layers of bureaucracy, almost like the, the government's right at this point. And so what we've learned is that through grassroots organizations and through, you know, smaller organizations, uh, we're able to really be the first on the ground as evidenced mm -hmm. by even organizations like World Central Kitchen right now, right? Like organizations like GEM and World Central Kitchen are usually there before anybody else seems to get to a point <laughs> of crisis after it happens. So we knew that the best way for us to really... Um, channel pandemic of loves uh, support, whether it's financially or our network is specifically to, to channel it to um, organizations that are currently on the ground. So I've been working with the operations team, um, the executive operations team. Uh, we have been raising a lot of money, millions of dollars. We have, we're up to 25 million. We're um, committed to raising at least 40 million by next week. Um, and the way that that money is being deployed is very responsibly. We currently have 
um, set up two enormous hundreds of thousands of square feet of warehouse space, one in Hungary, one in Poland. We are working with organizations like even like UNICEF to um, basically provide them with um, all of the goods that they need. Yeah. Uh, and then we're working individually with evacuees who need items from that warehouse as well. Everything you can possibly imagine from food to uh, diapers, strollers, and medical supplies. Um, in addition to that, this, we have like a medevac team. We've got a team of, um, of individuals that are able to go into, um, you know, certain territories to provide uh, humanitarian aid and resources to people who have not left and, and to, you know, hopefully assist people as well um, who are there uh, that would like to try to get out. Um, mm -hmm. so it's, it's just an enormous effort. It's nonstop. It's 24 seven. I wake up in the morning when I, in my morning time in California time right now. Um, and you know, maybe after five hours of sleep, if I'm lucky and I have like, you know, 700 WhatsApp messages on my phone. Yeah. So it's really intense to try to go through that. And you're like, what did I miss in the last five hours? Right. Um, the other thing that I want to say is there's another project aside from this, which I'm working on um, with Mindful Magazine, Mindful.org, Sounds True, the Garrison Institute's Program for Compassion-Based Resilience Training, um, Dr. Amit Bernstein um, in Israel, uh, who is at the University of Haifa, uh, and Dave, people like David Trelevin here, uh, who's really well known for trauma-informed mindfulness uh, practices. And, um, and we're building uh, an app, a mobile app. We've found and hired uh, a team of actually Ukrainian students who are app developers that are still in the Ukraine, in Kyiv right now. And um, they were this close. They were at beta before the war broke out uh, to launch a meditation app in Ukrainian. And wow. yeah, I mean, literally, like they were about to submit it to the Apple store. So we're working together. We're reskinning the app um, and creating essentially a Ukraine relief and aid app at this point. Um, and what we're looking for um, is, and we're building a network of teachers who speak Polish, English, Russian, and uh, Ukrainian who can uh, translate content and record content for humanitarian aid workers, for refugees, and specifically for children of refugees to hmm. provide resources. So that'll be like the, the, the beta phase. And then the gamma phase will be, um, we're actually uh, working with several organizations right now to provide a 24-hour crisis hotline so that when you're in crisis mentally, you can push a button wherever you are in the world and it will connect you to somebody who speaks your language that's a trauma-informed therapist. Oh, that's incredible. Awesome. And at the end of, and, and in all of our podcast channels, we will put links to how to support both of you. And um, so just thank you for all of that work and for all of the, the millions of people that you're supporting, but also just the many, many people that are on the ground and also making this happen. I mean, it's huge and it's no small feat. Um, so as you do this, and I know your book, Sit Down to Rise Up, was really around how radical self-care can change the world. So my question to you is how also are you doing self-care practices so that you can stay in that mental state of being able to have discernment and where to act? So at this moment, I'm still in California and I'm actually based in Lake Tahoe, which is an incredibly beautiful place. Mm. Um, and so it's really not hard to find, uh, you know, you just walk outside and you're like, ah, you know, like the yes. weight is just lifted. So I go for a lot of walks. Um, I, I snowboard. So like yesterday, I actually took an hour and a half, two hours and just went to the mountain and mm. turned, you know, had my phone in my pocket, couldn't look at it at all and snowboarded for a couple of hours. Today, I'll go cross-country skiing. By the way, Justin, I picked awesome. up cross-country skiing. <laughs> so uh, anyway, so yeah, so I, I will, I try, I really am being very good about making sure to preserve my um, 
the level of my well so that I can continue to give back because I know that, um, especially next week, uh, when I arrive, uh, this weekend, actually in, uh, in Poland that, uh, I'll be, you know, working on very little sleep mm -hmm. and, uh, I'm not sure that the view will be as, um, uplifting. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And Justin, like there are so many things that you've got going on. Uh, and so I would love to hear what are the things that you're excited about right now? What are you looking at bringing out into the world? What is happening now? Uh, God, just like, I, I'm hearing you all over from Esalon to like, you're in Bali now. It's like, like, what is it? What's going on for you? I'll tell you the thing that I'm the most excited about right now is yeah. the book that Shelly and I are writing together. Uh, we just turned in our full draft and we have our first readers reading it. The book is launching in uh, February of 2023. Um, hmm. And although we don't have our final title for the book yet, I can tell you that the book is about um, how the world came together to end racism. And it is a book that we're very inspired to write and that we felt very called to write uh, because like Shelly was mentioning a little while ago, you know, there are so many concepts that we are living in today that people once thought were impossible, right? People once thought that's impossible. That's never going to happen. And the way it became possible was because, first of all, somebody chose to shake up the belief system that it was impossible. And second, that there were people who chose to believe and take that movement forward and spread it out into the world. And so our hope, first of all, is to get people to ask the question, right? Can racism end? Just asking that question inserts something into the world. Because I don't think most people even thought of that question. Like, can this end? Like, actually be over meaning it doesn't exist yeah. anymore, you know, or if it does exist or if it does pop up, it's such a, a non-problem, you know, yeah. that it's like, okay, you know, and so the book is obviously not like a, here are your 10 steps to end racism. It's not that kind of book. Uh, we wrote the book really as this message from the future. And so we, nice. well, the approach that we took, because this is an approach that we take to much of our transformational work, and, you know, we're, we're using a lot of the science of what we know from transformation, the science of transformation, which Shelly and I have been students and teachers of for decades plus now together, is mm -hmm. that the way that you transform something is you stand in the future, in the fulfillment of that future, and you look back at the present time from the future and you say, okay, if racism ended, what did we do in 2022 to make that happen? And so that's the approach that we're taking to the book, which opens up this, you know, like visionary form of activism that allows us to create a new vision for the world together and not just create a fluffy woo -woo vision. Yay. Now we have a new, we have a new vision, but actually like the action steps that we can take to start becoming that and to start yeah. creating the end of racism in our own lives and our own conversations and not just keep talking about racism, not just keep learning about racism, not just becoming educated <laughs> in diversity and equity and inclusion, but to end this thing and to end it in one generation, not someday, 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 someday. Like we're going to end racism someday is the equivalent of you running into one of your friends in the grocery store that you haven't seen in a while and saying, we should hang out sometime. You already know you're never going to see them again. You're not even going to call. Right. So, but like, if you ran into your friend in the grocery store and say, Hey, Oh my God, it's so good to see you. Can you hang out on Tuesday at five o'clock? Now yeah. we're in a different conversation. So what does it look like if we're going to end racism by 2050? What, what would that take? Uh -huh. You know, and that's kind of where the book that Shelly and I are writing. Um, if you, for people listening, and I know you'll put this in the show notes, I wrote an article and a manifesto and a pledge that everybody can take called, um, you know, how to end racism in one generation. It's the ending racism pledge. And so if you go to endingracismtogether.com, you can at the very least just sign the pledge and then you'll end up getting more information about our book when we start releasing information about that to that group. 
Um, and you can also read a little preview, like a little manifesto that I wrote uh, about a year, two years ago, Jesus, about um, at the end of racism. So I love that. You know, Justin, what that brings up is um, we have on our realize.love website, we have an online resource hub which is like from our podcast, like a one or two pager from our guests that is just a juicy resource. And what I can see is putting that ending racism pledge out there. So it's accessible to all and making sure that there's links to all of the um, areas that they can find more and, and really be involved. And I love that. I love that Christina, because, you know, I love that, you know, this realize, uh, Ripple effects, actualizing love real. I love that mm. uh, acronym yeah. that you use. And it's so yeah. aligned with everything that Shelly and I stand for, you know? Yeah, it is. And it is, I wanted to ask you, I mean, this is the ripple effect that we're talking about too. Positive ripples in the world. And it can start with an action that, you know, when we look at something like ending racism and so many of our guests we've been talking about, sometimes people can feel like, oh, it's overwhelming and how are we ever going to get there? But when you start from that future look and then you come back and we say, what do we need to do? You start to see a step-by-step path that all feels accessible, right? Like how does that work that we can actually make things happen step-by-step? Justin? I mean, uh, yeah. So I'll be, it's, it's not complicated. You know, people make it very complicated. Like the, the, the reason we make it complicated is so that we can just keep talking about stuff and not have to do anything and not take responsibility. I say that with a lot of love because I, I do this in, in ways in my life too. But like the difference is this, when you're standing in the present moment, then what you're doing is you're looking around at all your limitations and your circumstances. And you're saying, how do we fix this? How do we get out of this? Given my circumstances, what's realistic? Look, you don't fix racism. You don't fix it. It's not something to fix. The thing is a mess. You get rid of it altogether. Like you don't fix racism, you know? And so like, if you're standing in the limitations of your circumstances and asking, what do I do? Is very different than standing in a future where it's fulfilled and asking, what did I do? What did we do? And it's it to get there, it's it's standing in the possibility. And I'll just end this point with this. It's like it it sounds as I'm explaining it, oh, philosophical, sure, spiritual, personal growth, manifesting stuff. This is real. The every movement in society has moved forward using the same model. Do you think like the women's suffrage movement? If they looked around at their circumstances and said, oh, how do we fix this? No. You know, like if you look (laughs) at slavery, like what would make slaves look around them and say, this could be over? Surely not Mm -hmm. their circumstances, surely not anything that they could see around them. Mm -hmm. So they have to be standing in a different position to then take action. And this is what we're trying to get people to do around racism. Yeah, I love it. You know what that brings up is the the Margaret Mead quote, you know, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it is the only thing that ever has. And that to me is this this catalyst that the two of you and everybody who is around starts. And, you know, it kind of reminded me of, you know, Michelle Obama and the becoming, you know, she talks about the concept of having your feet rooted, like rooted and grounded and knowing who you are and then you pointing your feet in the direction of where you're going. And I see Shelly, like with this whole like element of self-care and this coming from activism that's rooting up from within you, that you kind of represent that. And then Justin in this becoming and this visualizing and future self and how do we look back? So the two of you are quite, quite a force. And I just talk about a catalyst for change and not change. Sorry, transformation. Here we go. Right. <laughs> we even have to catch ourselves, right? There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So Shelly, I want to kind of um, just kind of ask you both this one question and then we'll start to bring this out into, you know, ways that we can support you both as well. Um, when you think about what's going on in the here and now, I'm very curious from your perspective, what warms your heart and what breaks your heart right now? Well, again, everything exists in duality, light and dark and, you know, happiness and sadness. Like one thing can't exist without the other. Right. And so when 
in moments like these where we see the worst of humanity, that's exactly the time that we see the best of humanity. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very yeah. uh, rare that you see the best of humanity just come out of nowhere, right? Not as a reaction to something. And so it's this like interesting dance that that has taken place. So what, you know, what breaks my heart is that um, that history is repeating itself again, right? That history is repeating itself, that innocent people are dying, that people literally are leaving. um, And this is, by the way, not just in the Ukraine, but all over the world, that people are constantly migrating, leaving their homes, their families, their communities, looking for shelter, for safety, that they're being persecuted. It breaks my heart that we choose to amplify one group of people that is suffering. But yet, so for example, yes, we're all talking about Ukraine, but what about everything that's been happening in Yemen for years, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. What about everything that's been happening you know, in Syria on an ongoing basis, you know, it's like we kind of choose to look away uh, to certain populations. And so that breaks my heart. But it also uplifts me to know that, um, you know, so many people all over the world are willing to do um, even a little bit and recognize that even that little bit uh, can go a very long way when a lot of us do a little bit. Mm, Thank you. How about you, Justin? How would you respond to what warms your heart? What breaks your heart? Mm. I'm going to go a little different direction with this. So what warms my heart right now is um, seeing what's happening with youth and uh, Mm. with the students. I get to work with a lot of students, high school and, and college students. And just seeing the context that they're living in and how drastically different it is than the context that I was in. And I'm only 34. So like, you know, I mean, I guess it was a long time ago, but like, you know, if like I'm a millennial, you know, one generation away and they're, they're in a completely different universe than I was as a millennial. Like I'm like a dinosaur to them, you know, as it relates to like gender and their ability to express in this way, in their a way to express in sexuality. And like, you know, kids now live in a world where in the United States, in a United States where, you know, gay marriage in their lifetime has always been legal, you know, and all yeah. these different kinds of things are in a very different world. And they see, they see us, they're, they're so young, but they're so much sharper than any of us ever were. You know why? Because of social media. And it's crazy because we talk mm-hmm. about how bad social media is, but it has made these kids sharp as attack. And they look at us like, what are you all doing? Like, why are you like, they look at us like we're just stupid, you know, because in a lot of ways we are like, it does a lot of what we're doing makes no sense, you know? And it's, yeah. it really warms my heart because I can see how fast and how much change this uh, generation is going to, is going to bring into the world. Cause they are like, kind of like, you know, they just, I'm trying to not curse right now, but they just make like no, they have no apologies about it, you know? Yeah. And, um, and the second thing about what breaks my heart, you know, I think what breaks my heart is when people give up, when people mm-hmm. completely give up and lose hope. And I, I see that with people. Um, and even with people who have been activists or people who are trying to do good in the world, but even just on our own selves, when people have decided that, you know, the, the way that it is, is the way that it's going to be. And mm-hmm. that decision is one of the most broken hearted decisions, like for me ever, when I see somebody there, because I have so much compassion for that space and it's a really hard space to get out of. But I think a big reason why Shelly and I do our work because we help yeah. people get out of those spaces of where they think there's no hope left. And mm-hmm. we remind people of what's true and who they really are and who we really are as a collective. And so there's my inspiration. Beautiful. And- you know, what comes to me too, Justin, on that is your Grammy nominated song, Believe. But that really is so much of what you're talking about is we can believe that where we are today doesn't have to be this way. And we can believe that we can be part of the change. 
And we can take a look at what that future looks like and integrate our youth and take a look at what their vision is as well and make it happen. I really appreciate that. Yeah. You know, I'll say something so, really shall, that is, um, please. Yes, do. one of the things that's really great. I was working with some college students at uh, UPenn recently, and it was interesting because they were like, you know, talking about the climate crisis and all of this. And I think somebody had said something. Luckily, I didn't say it because I normally would have said this, but he was I, I said something. They said something like, oh, you know, the youth are going to change the world. And these youth, they were so funny, these college students, they were like, no, stop that. Like, that is stupid. It doesn't make any sense. Oh, the youth are going to change the world. And every generation keeps saying the youth are going to change the world. You're the one in power. You can change yeah. the world. We can't change the world. I'm supposed to be over here studying and going to parties. <laughs> Don't tell me that I'm supposed to change the world. You change the world. And so it was really good. Like, I was like, yes, no, like it is the youth, but it's also like, we can't just pass it off. Oh, when the next generation no. comes, they're going to fix it, you know? Mm -mm. So. Mm -mm. No, some... absolutely. And it's like the Greta's of the world that are like, you know, right. <laughs> but I love it. There's, there's this integration, I think, like it doesn't, we also don't dismiss what the voice of the youth is. Cause as you mentioned, they are living in a different world. They see it differently. So you were going to say something, Shelly. No, no, I'm, I'm totally in vehement like agreement. Yeah. Yeah. So as we, as we bring this to a close, I could talk to the two of you forever, but I also know that Justin, it's at past midnight, probably close to 1am for you in Bali and Shelly, you've got a ton um, going on with regards to uh, the relief effort. So um, I'd like to just ask the two of you, if there is any way that our listeners can support you, what that would be. And of course, we're going to put those all in the show notes as well, but like Shelly, anything that's bubbling up that you'd like to offer. I would, I would like to, um, I'd like to offer six very concise steps for people to start to lean into, right? Mm -hmm. And we teach this practice and so does, you know, so do many other teachers like Tara Brock, for example, uh, when we teach Lebex. Uh, and that's a practice of rain, right? But I, I implore people to get go beyond rain. And so how mm -hmm. can we do that? So rain stands for R is the recognize, recognize what you're feeling, right? Name it to tame it label your emotions, figure out what it is that you're feeling. So let's say you're feeling by what's happening in this world right now, you're feeling angry, you're feeling enraged, you're feeling fearful. What, what is it that you identify? The A is for allow, allow, acknowledge, accept what it is that you're feeling. Sit with it. The only way out is through, as Rumi said. And the I is investigate. Figure out where that feeling is coming from. Why are you feeling this way about what is happening in the world? And then move to the end, which is nurture. Nurture yourself. Really tend to your own heart first so that you can show up with a healed or a band-aided heart uh, out into the world. And for most people, that's where the practice ends, at nurture. You know, and certainly that is a good place to end, but I think we could do better. I think we can evolve beyond that. And so the next step is really, um, you know, moves into sort of that tend and befriend mode, but I think moves beyond it. And so I ask people to, from that nurture mode of being able to really tend to the place where it hurts within you move into a place where you can ask yourself two questions. The first being, what can I tangibly do about what it is that I identified in the R, right? What can I tangibly, tangibly do about the anger that I'm feeling? And the answer doesn't have to be huge, mm -hmm. right? Tend to the area of the garden that you can reach is a great Buddhist proverb. Just look around you. What can you tangibly do in a small way? And the follow-up question to that is, and, and how do I come from a place of love? Mm 
How do I come from a place of love? And that's a really important inquiry because sometimes when you answer the question of what can I do about this anger that I'm feeling, <laughs> the responses are not from a place of love. They're from a place of vengeance or they're from a place of anger, or, you know, all these other places that just put out more, more of the ick stuff into the world that we don't want. So I'm, I, I want to encourage people to start really challenging themselves to connect the inner to the outer and to remember that the reason we meditate is not so that we can get more comfortable with what's happening in the world, but so that we can sit with what is uncomfortable and begin to put ourselves into uncomfortable spaces more often. Mm. I love that. If you're open to that, I think that that is something we'd love to add to the resource hub too. So the uh, ending racism pledge from Justin and that practice of the six steps beyond rain. Um, if, if you're open to that, we'll go ahead and put that out there. Totally. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Justin, how about for you? What is a way that our listeners can support what you are doing in this world and find out more? Yeah, I think um, the best thing at this moment uh, for both Shelly and I, as it relates to our work together, is to go sign the Ending Racism Pledge at endingracismtogether.com. You'll get to see a lot of the work that we have coming up in the world by uh, signing that pledge. And, you know, most importantly, go to, with what's happening in the world right now, uh, please go to Shelly's Instagram account. It's at... And this is a this is how you know Shelly was not originally this person. It's at my mindful skater girl. Okay. <laughs> mindful skater girl. And go to her Instagram account and just look at all of the incredible things that Pandemic of Love, her organization, is doing to support people all over the world. And if you're somebody who needs help right now, go there and see how you can get support. And if you're somebody who can give help, go see how you can be of support to the world. Because as Shelly always says, all of us have something that we need and something that we can offer. And uh, she's really created a platform that allows us to do this for many situations that are happening in the world. So I encourage people to go look at that and sign the Ending Racism Pledge. And you will have done uh, a lot in this day that can help make a big difference in the world. Oh, beautiful. That's awesome. And uh, mindful skater girl. I love it. It's, uh, it's so appropriate. And it is um, a way I love the reciprocity that you've highlighted the two of you about how much we can do and also receive. So let's not forget ourselves in this process. And taking care of ourselves is a very important element and with love, right with love for ourselves and our brothers and sisters. So we close the podcast with just a set of uh, brother, I'm going to just, I'm just going to tell this to you right now because I promised myself I would do this. Our brothers and sisters and family, because everybody's not a brother and a sister. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. Good. Spot on. Yep. It's all and, good. Uh, I've so gotten called forward on it many times. And I promise, I promise so many of the trans people in our community that I would make sure that I, that I bring that into people's awareness mm -hmm. as we're, Good point. Appreciate it. And this is how, this is how, as Shelly just said, we sit in these seats that might feel uncomfortable. That wasn't uncomfortable, by the way. Thank you though, for calling that forward. And yeah. then that's how we get recognition for, Oh, thank you. Thank yeah, you. Totally. With great love. I've been right there where you are and we don't always say the right things, but I always find that when we can like, just show up for each other and say, Hey, then we avoid totally. the big dramas, you know, like yes. later as we can yes. adjust. Yeah, absolutely. So. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so as we close this out, just a couple of collective questions and just spontaneous, what comes top of mind to the two of you. So Shelly, I'm going to start with you on this first one. Um, what are the practices that you do or say to yourself that remind you how to show up? Well, definitely the rain practice for sure, beyond rain, mm -hmm. but also um, it's not about what I do or the practices. It's the fact that I have a son who is my mirror and literally calls me out on stuff every minute of every day and every opportunity that he gets. And so I recognize very deeply that I have a 20 year old son who, by the way, is coming with me next week to Poland, um, that he is, um, watching me very carefully and has been for a very long time. And so, um, 
my, my contribution to the world, you know, yes, all of these lofty and, you know, important things that, that I try to do on a daily basis, but my most important contribution to this world is my son. Um, because you know, how I train him, uh, to be the best human that he can be, uh, and to be of service to people is the most important thing. Mm. Awesome. Shout out to Liam and safe travels to the both of you and all those that are heading over to Poland. How about you, Justin? What are the things that you might do or say to yourself when you decide this is how I want to show up? I've been using lately a mantra that's been uh, really like a mantra for me for a while called that. I just say, I am enough. Mm -hmm. You know, when I start to get overwhelmed or insecure or feel like I'm not doing enough or whatever, just I am enough, you know, and that mantra really grounds me in a lot of ways. Even just when I remind it to myself and say it a couple of times in the middle of the day. So that's a big one for me. That's awesome. Actually, it reminds me of one of the chapters in Shelley's book, Good is Good Enough. I mean, I, there's so much to that, right? That's the place that we start from, from abundance and from feeling full. So uh, I'm going to go, Justin, to you next. What if you could eat dinner and engage in dialogue with anyone past or present, who would it be? Oh, it's easy. Oprah. Yeah? Yeah. And what would you talk about? What do you think? Oh, my gosh. So... I'll, I'll tell you what I want to ask Oprah. Okay. I've thought about this at length because I'm sure everybody asks Oprah like all kinds of questions. Right. And, and also I've listened to like every podcast episode that she's ever had and like watched her show since I was a little kid. So I know like everything that Oprah has shared publicly pretty much. And she shares a lot, right. She shares like a lot about her life. One of the things she's never talked about that I want to know is how do you, how does she, not how do you, how, how did she manage to have such an incredibly successful business and career and stay in a long-term committed relationship the whole time? I actually want to know. I want to know, like, I want to know what that looks like in the house. Like when you're working 20 hours, you know, a day, and then having this relationship, like, what does that actually take and, and look like to build? Because, you know, her and Stedman have been together for such a long time. And mm -hmm. I would just like personally for my own self off the record, want to know like the real, real, because I see myself as somebody who sometimes has challenge in like finding that balance between relationship and work and impact. And so I just want to know what Oprah has done or what she thinks or what she's learned. So that's my question. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I love it. How about you, Shelly? If you could have dinner and engage in dialogue, anyone past or present, who would it be? Oh, that's so freaking hard. <laughs> Just one person, huh? Um, I, I, I struggle between like somebody famous that I don't like know, you know, like somebody like a Gloria Steinem or an Angela Davis or like all these women that came before me that like inform my work, like even dating back to like Eleanor Roosevelt. Right. So I struggle with that. Um, versus, you know, actually in my adult life, I think I would like to have sat with my grandmother. Um, I only really, you know, she died when I was, uh, in third grade and, um, we didn't really speak the same language and I couldn't communicate. I mean, I communicated with her, you know, and I discuss that as well in my book, like I communicate with her in, through my heart, but I never really knew her as an adult. And so I would really yeah. think would love to be able to have a dinner that with my grandmother, but she has to cook the dinner because I'm, <laughs> I do remember that her food was off, you know, I, I will break every food rule I have. Um, but yeah, I think it would be incredible to be able to sit with her as an adult and to, um, understand, from whence I came, you know, <laughs> and really the truth about that. Yeah, that's beautiful. And uh, we're going to end it with you, Shelly. Uh, what are you grateful for today in this moment? I'm, I'm grateful every single day for my, my, my relative health, the relative health of my family and my friends. Um, and for uh, that health, uh, yielding and, and providing me with the capacity to be able to be of service to people. Mm, thank you. How about you, Justin? What are you grateful for today, this moment? 
I'm grateful for you. Honestly, I think, uh, Christina, the work that you're doing is so incredible. And uh, the level of heart that you're showing up with here is just really beautiful. And even just the whole intention and the purpose inside of this podcast and this series of, of ripple effects, actualizing love. It, like, I think if people really unpack what that means, like ripple effects, actualizing love, like how each of us can become that ripple, you know, and, um, you're just a light in this world. And so I'm so grateful that you're taking the time and energy to have us here and, uh, to allow us to share our voice on your platform. And if this messages touch one person's heart, you know, one person signs the pledge, one person goes and shows up, uh, for, to do some support with pandemic of love, or one person receives help, you know, then that has mattered dramatically. And it, it is the ripple effect happening. So thank you for bringing us together on this day. Oh, absolutely. And thank you. Thank you both. Sending you blessings, love and action, compassion and action. Here we go. <laughs> thank you for tuning in to another impactful conversation here on Real Eyes, Real Eyes podcast. We hope you take the, some time to let the wisdom and the stories that were shared here today sink in. And we welcome you to engage with us on our social channels at realize.love on Instagram, at realize.love on Facebook, and also our virtual voicemail on SpeakPipe. You can call us and let us know individuals you'd like to hear us interview or ideas for stories that you think would be impactful for others to hear. We also have links in the show notes and we invite you to go to our website, realeyes.love, where you will find an online resource hub. It is our gift to all of our listeners to provide you the resources and support in making your own ripple effects actualizing love in this world. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. Thank you for doing all that you do. And remember, be true, be real, be you, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you.